This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we cover NVMe and how automation is changing the way we think about sand workloads. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipor. Zipor. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio with me today. I have several guests to talk about brocade and sand and automation. And to do that uh, today, I've brought along Mike Peppers. Mike, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Hi, I'm Mike Peppers. I'm a senior technical marketing engineer covering uh, all things sand for ONTAP. You can reach me at mpeppers at netapp.com or alternatively, I am FLI, uh, NTAP FLI guy on Twitter. All right. Also with us today uh, from Brocade, AJ Casamento. So, uh, AJ, what do you do at Brocade and how do we reach you? Hey, good morning, Justin. So I'm a principal uh, R&D engineer in the um, Brocade Storage Networking Group, um, a little over 23 years there. And you can reach me at aj.casamento, that's C-A-S-A-M-E-N-T-O, at broadcom.com. Um, and I'd be happy to, to hear from folks. Do I need to Italianize your your last name a little more? <laughs> no, 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 actually, no. You can, but it's it, it's a, it it just sounds scary to people when they go to spell it. It's actually really phonetic. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it it just works out that way. All right, excellent. All right, uh, also with us today from NetApp, Madhu Pai is here. Madhu, what do you do here at NetApp, and how we reach you? Um, I'm a principal engineer, Justin, at uh, NetApp, working in SAN. Um, I, I work on all things SAN, fiber channels, SCSI, and uh, NVMe or fabrics. Uh, I can be reached uh, via email at uh, mpai, that's uh, Peter Apple India, mpai at netapp.com. All right, excellent. So we're going to talk about brocade and SAN and automation, but before we do that, I'd like to kind of cover brocade. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with Brocade, who they are, what they do, and then the partnership. So, AJ, could you talk about Brocade and the overview of what that is? Yeah, basically, Brocade is the oldest name in, in uh, fiber channel networking at this point. Um, so we are the, the, the connection between the server and the NetApp storage, right? So for the, for the fiber channel SAN, uh, we're the folks that build the switches and directors um, and extension products that NetApp uses to provide complete solution sets out to their out to their customer for enterprise storage. So, you know, when you're when you're looking for the high performance, lossless, low latency, deterministic um, platform for your um, for your storage technology, that that NetApp solution using the Brocade um, Brocade sandwiches is the right solution set for that. All right. And as far as a partnership goes with NetApp, Madhu, what can you tell us about that? Oh, thanks, Justin. Um, we actually have a really good, deep partnership with Brocade. We we work with them, with their engineering team. Uh, we have bi-monthly calls where we define a shared set of priority, uh, you know, work items. We go through that. We execute to that priority. The partnership is deep, and we actually we have a common vision uh, between Brocade and us, the vision for success for SAM, uh, uh, autonomous SAM that's self-healing, self-managing, 
you know, self-optimizing and self-learning. Something that makes the storage administrator, uh, you know, not have to worry about SAM uh, over and over again. And to this vision, NetApp and Brocade execute together and develop features in the areas of like, you know, healing, um, managing uh, SAM so that, you know, it becomes more and more autonomous. Yeah. And, and with automation, I mean, there's a lot of places where that can be accomplished, right? Within ONTAP itself, with the auto healing and that sort of thing, with Brocade, with their product suite, and then also with things like Ansible and, and provisioning. So we'll talk about those in, in more detail here as we go. Um, but, you know, let's kind of cover the SAM protocols themselves. I, we, we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast. And if you haven't heard about it before, we, we do have NVMe over Fiber Channel uh, and also SCSI for SAM protocol. So, so Mike, can you kind of give us an overview of the differences of those and c- kind of the benefits of each? So basically, you, you could break it down into two categories. You have your SCSI-based protocols. Uh, these are your legacy, the ones you're familiar with. Uh, that would be Fiber Channel Protocol. That is SCSI three command descriptor blocks that are inside of a Fiber Channel frame, or iSCSI, or FCOE. So basically, the thing that you think of as SAN protocols, those are all based on SCSI, which is roughly a 40-year-old uh, standard from the standpoint of it was originally written by Shugart and Associates in 1979. Uh, compare that with NVMe, which is another protocol that was designed to be a replacement for those SCSI protocols. It was written in the aughts. Uh, with NVMe, there is an extension to that NVMe OF, which uh, essentially defines how you would be able to transport NVMe inside of a, ver- a wide variety of networking protocols. Uh, so things like Rocky, which would be RDMA over converged Ethernet, or NVMe TCP, where you're encapsulating uh, NVMe inside of a TCP datagram, or NVMe FC, which is essentially uh, encapsulating NVMe uh, uh, command inside of FC frames, and therefore being able to use fiber channel as your transport in this case. And so you actually, in the case of say NVMe FC and FCP, you have a common transport. You can actually use those at exactly, you know, the same components concurrently at the same time, but you're going to have uh, somewhat different experiences because of NVMe's uh, vastly improved uh, efficiency over uh, the, at this point, 40-year-old SCSI uh, technologies. So speaking as a 40-year-old standard myself, um, <laughs> we don't like to think that you know we need to be replaced. So is, is there still a place for FCP and SCSI, or is it really a case of if you got the opportunity to go to NVMe, go ahead and go with it? So, yeah, there is absolutely still a place, and there is going to continue to be a place. Uh, our expectation is, 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 is that over time, we are going to see uh, NVMe FC replace FCP. The reason being, quite simply, that the protocol is so much more efficient that you get major gains in throughput, reductions in latency, possibly reductions in host CPU utilization. So you get a lot of good for going with this new protocol. However, uh, you don't just go with it because there is a new protocol. You're going to spend some time uh, determining whether or not you have a fit within your organization, whether you're able to field a complete solution. If you have a brand new protocol, you typically are going to have some gaps in your ecosystem that you would not have with a protocol that is very mature. And so it is going to be things like that. Or 
typically you will change because you are doing a larger change. Perhaps you're doing a, a new refresh to new set of controllers, or perhaps adding a new workload. You don't typically change because the opportunity exists to change. And so you, it, customers typically are going to be strategic about doing that. But I suspect that over time, people will see the efficiencies and want to uh, take advantage of those. And so over time, I suspect we will see people move to this. That said, there are people today that are still using tape for backup. And so it's not dead. It just is nowhere near as prevalent. As, you know, 1980 or 1990s, it, everything was backup to tape. Now, most of it isn't. I think a lot of the roadblock to going all the way to NVMe right now is has to do with the feature gaps, right? So, you know, for example, we recently got a it was ANA failovers with NVMe. So having things like that added to the NVMe stack is going to help adoption, but it's also going to help when vendors like NetApp and Brocade start to adopt it more readily into their own ecosystems and dedicate resources to developing those. You know, so so Madu, what is NetApp doing in terms of, of NVMe? Is that is that going to be the focus from here on out, or are we still focusing on SCSI as well? No, uh, well, absolutely. We we are focusing very heavily on NVMe uh, and all flavors of NVMe to what Mike was pointing out. Um, specifically, you know, like NVMe over FC is obviously out there in the marketplace. We were the first to come out. Uh, you know, with a solution there, we are we have been focusing on NVMe or TCP and RDMA as we speak. Uh, that those are the transports. But other than the transports, you know, if you up level it at the protocol level, we are we are we are in the standards committee. We actually pen TPARs, NetApp NetApp authors TPARs in this area. We we look at the business cases and we want to solve it via the protocol. So and we have a heavy focus, Justin, on on uh, on NVMe over uh, you know. All, all flavors of NVMe right now, NVMe or Fabric. If I could jump in real quickly, uh, just to throw out a random uh, definition, uh, TPARs would be roughly equivalent with uh, RFC if you were looking at, uh, say, FC protocols. No, it's like a standard type of thing, right? It, it, yeah, it's basically, it is a draft that is then going to go out and be reviewed and hopefully ratified. If it is ratified, you now have a standard, which people then are going to create solutions that are compliant with. So thinking about this from like a kind of real world use case scenario, you know, I think about the battle of Blu-ray and uh, HD DVD, right? Like <laughs> where it's kind of like, which one are we going to pick? Right. Um, does NVMe have an equivalent to that? Is there something that's a competing SAN protocol that, you know, there's a current battle for, or is this, is NVMe it? Uh, I can't think of a, competing protocol. NVMe OF defines various ways that, that you can transport NVMe. So one way you could do that would be NVMe FC, you're encapsulating inside a fiber channel. Another would be Rocky, which is RDMA over converged Ethernet. A third would be NVMe TCP. And so all of these are uh, transports that are using NVMe command sets. And in fact, all of them would be able to talk to the same namespace potentially. Uh, because namespace is transport agnostic. How, so they're not necessarily, they're in competition with one another in the sense that how do I want to access uh, my data? But uh, all of them are using NVMe. The competition for NVMe, as far as block is concerned, for all intents and purposes, is SCSI. While there may be something in somebody's garage in Palo Alto somewhere, 
there's nothing else that's really on the horizon that is competition for SCSI or NVMe for block workloads right now. Okay. So, so, and, and really what we're dealing with then is Blu-ray versus VHS. <laughs> I mean, if you, if I can, if I can just jump in there, you know, Mike, Mike, Mike and Madhu were, were, um, you know, giving you a, a bit of a scope on, on, on fabrics, you know, there, there's actually a couple more that, you know, there's, there's folks that insisted that there be an, an NVMe over FCOE standard. There's, there's, there's the NVMe over InfiniBand um, side of it, side of it as well. So, you know, there's a, there's a variety of, of, of footprints there. Um, I think one of the really, really brilliant things that, that NetApp did in their first launch with this, because NetApp was literally the first company and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, Justin. It's, you, you, can, you can go back and look up the history, right? So they were the first people to to support NVMe over fabrics, literally, you know, other than other, and on 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 fiber channel. And so, you know, this was this was a a, a pretty uh, significant step, right? So there there had been the InfiniBand stuff previous to that, and so on, right? But but this was this was you know something that works in people's current data centers. Without we can replace, right? Without, in, in fact, you know, to Mike's point on on being able to run both of them in the in the same in the same infrastructure over the over the same carrier, um, if if you will, um, you know, with with vSphere seven, you literally can choose. You know, so from from Madu's target, <laughs> we'll 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 call it Madu's target. From Madu's target, you the the storage admin can provision a namespace ID, right? Present it to vCenter. And step back. The vSphere admin at that point is free to choose which workloads, which which machines they want to migrate using a live storage vMotion from a data store running on a SCSI LUN to a data store running on an NVMe namespace ID. And you know the benchmarks we see from from um, from VMware themselves, you know, around this show that you can, you can get really really significant, like better than fifty percent increase in IOPS. And by the way, with the live storage vMotion, Justin, you didn't negotiate a service window for an application outage because there's no application outage. Yeah, okay, the I.O. drops a little bit, as it does, by the way. I, I don't care if you're just doing a, a live storage vMotion scuzzy to scuzzy. It still drops a little bit. But then you get that spike because of the lighter weight protocol, the, 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 you know, the, the response time and the lower latency in the, uh, in the, in the storage. And the fact that that NetApp can do that just in the existing fabric is, is I think, just brilliant. There's, there's literally not a working place there. So I think that's a great point. Uh, I'm just going to add one more thing, right? I mean, I think the emphasis there is, there is no hardware change. The same wire is able to do this. It's a software upgrade that results in a better IOPS and latency. And I think that's what AJ is pointing out there. It's just a software upgrade. And it's already out there. It's out there in the field. So I, I wrote a, a blog shortly after we uh, released uh, NVMe FC in ONTAP 9.4, uh, and it was uh, uh, essentially bullet points for you know why why you'd be interested and why did we pick NVMe FC instead of Rocky or you know one of the other transports, and right up there at the very top of why we did it would be that we already have lots of customers that already have an environment where literally the only thing they need to do in order to be able to use NVMe FC is this upgrade to ONTAP 9.4 or later. A second reason why we picked it is this is because since you can use common components and you can use them at the same time, it makes the ability for you to start using FC 
incredibly seamless. You're not having to jump off of a switch or an HBA or a NIC or change to some other, other storage architecture. It all is the same wire cable. So all you had to do is just say, I want to use this namespace instead of that one. And so it is, it is absolutely that simple. Uh, last, uh, I, once again, we'll say that I'm uh, at the risk of sounding like mutual admiration society. Uh, what AJ has not said is, is, is that Brocade uh, and NetApp were partners in actually introducing NVMe FC. Uh, our development was with Brocade Gear and Broadcom HBAs. Uh, their development, a lot of their testing was on NetApp gear and has continued to be. And we have since then started writing NetApp verified architectures where we actually talk about, we define a uh, reference architecture for a specific popular application like an Oracle or a SAP HANA or MongoDB or VMware for that matter. And we essentially define reference architecture. We then run load that would be typical of that type of environment like an Oracle Rack. We then uh, run that over FC. We then change the transport from FC to NVMe FC and measure again. We give this to you with enough detail in terms of test configuration that you could run these tests yourself and get exactly the same outcomes that we got. And in the case of VMware, which uh, AJ had mentioned, uh, NDA 1145, which talks about VMware, we saw a 250%, 250% increase in throughput and uh, between a 20 and 30% reduction in latency for that 250% increase in throughput. That's what I mean when I say the protocol efficiencies are so off the charts that it's kind of hard to see how people would not want to adopt this over time, you know, as they got comfortable with it, which I think is the primary thing that's happening right now. You have lots of testing going on. But I think one of the really cool things about that is, you know, Mike, Mike mentioned early on that, that one of the challenges is you've, you've got this massive footprint of SCSI. And, and you know, let's let's be honest. Over forty years, you were going to get a massive footprint of of, of a block storage protocol like that in, in in data centers. Well, you know, customers, sadly, you know, their 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 management and in particular their finance organizations tend not to let them just wipe the floor clean on any given year and and buy all new gear, right? Um, to Mike's point, you know, there's 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 a whole range of investment scenarios that you that you have to look after there. And so the, the the one of the other things that that the the NetApp platform does, the FF series do, is allow you to run um, concurrent SCSI and NVMe in in the in the same hardware. So you don't have to, you know, dedicate a port uh, a port to one protocol or the other. Customers may in fact choose at some point to isolate, you know, the the, the traffics, um, you know, for other for other reasons. It's one of the things we're doing. Um, as as a as a future item in our in our uh, in our own Fabric OS, you know. But to Madhu's point uh, earlier as well, you know, Gen six HBAs, which are what are needed for NVMe over fiber channel, they've been shipping for five six years, right? The the Gen six and and actually all the way back to Gen five switches that NetApp has has shipped from us um, can carry NVMe, but you know, Gen six or Gen seven, if you want the want the real performance. You know that there's four plus years that that's been shipping, right? And and the F F series, you know, with the with the NVMe cache on the front end that can take the software update. I don't know, guys, what what that's four years for you that you've been shipping that three and a half, four years. Better part of four. 
Yeah, right. So, I mean, the, the for a lot of customers, Justin, one of the funny things about this is the gear on the floor with a software update can already run NVMe. And you can mix and match which ones you want to move. And it's not an all or nothing. And you don't have to throw a bunch of stuff away. And if you can show me a more risk-averse technology migration where you changed an entire storage protocol, the entire language we use to talk to it, um, with with so little risk, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And I, you know, I've been at this, I don't know, God, no, 43 years or something, right? But I can't think of, a, of, of anything that would match this in terms of less risk and better advantage. So uh, actually, uh, at the risk of channeling uh, Steve Jobs, but there's more. Uh, <laughs> the, the one other thing, and this is the other one that, that to me seems somewhat unique, is, is, is that you could do this on gear that you already own. You're not writing a check to NetApp or Brocade or anybody else. All you're doing is, is upgrading uh, existing systems to a version of ONTAP that supports NVMe FC and upgrading uh, your switches potentially to a version of Fabric OS that supports NVMe FC. Both of which, if you have service contracts in place, which you should, uh, are, are, are free for you to do anytime you want. And so this is, I'm hitting the turbo button and getting a 50% or 250% increase in throughput by simply doing a software upgrade that did not cost me a dime. You could, you could argue that the, the challenge that a lot of storage admins are going to have is, is that when, when, you know, the first kid on the block starts, starts getting, you know, his, his bang for the buck on his application, all of a sudden, everybody else is going to be looking and going, well, wait a minute, why wasn't I your favorite child, right? Where's, where's, where's the love for my application base, right? And that's, you know, but it, it will take time. But, um, you know, I, I do think that's, that's, that's a, a progression we're going to see. But it's going to be, it, it is going to be a progression. There's no magic six-month transitions in IT that I've, that I've ever seen. People just do not do that, right? So they'll... Uh, they'll by the way, if your other customers uh, complain that you... Uh, apparently favored someone else. Uh, both NetApp and Brocade are happy to help you. Both <laughs> are in friends equally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it sounds like you know one another one of the impeding factors is going to be the transport method, right? So we have fiber channel and we have you know other ways of doing this, but Ethernet I think is going to be the next logical step where this might start to take off a bit more where we support, you know, NVMe over Ethernet instead of having it just over like a fiber channel protocol. I would say that that generally is correct. Uh, uh, as AJ pointed out, you have a variety of transports. You mentioned uh, InfiniBand, which by the way, E-Series supports. And so if you're in a scientific computing type of environment, that might be uh, the choice that you would make. And so you're going to buy an EF570, uh, for instance. Um, but I think for general purpose storage, uh, the next likely place is going to be over Ethernet, which is going to be either Rocky or NVMe TCP. There, there will be other flavors. As, you know, th there's a dog's breakfast of different NVMe OF flavors. But I suspect that those two are going to be the other, uh, you know, if FC is 800-pound gorilla, those two will be the 500-pound gorilla with TCP likely to grow beyond that in that it is likely to be the NVMe flavor that also has a cloud presence. And so that's sort of the X factor that is likely to favor it. And if you're looking for flat out performance, you want to win uh, Le Mans with your F1, uh, you know, your Formula One car, 
That's NVMe FC. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, most people are looking for that for that good enough performance, right? Where you know, just improving what we already have today. And you know, I think that Ethernet is the next step because while not everyone has InfiniBand and not everyone has FCP, everyone has Ethernet. There's no way getting around that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, however, there are potential challenges that you have to solve for Ethernet that you don't for FC because FC was designed specifically to move uh, you know, large amounts of storage data or block data from point to point. Whereas in the case of Ethernet, you're essentially taking something that was not that was built to rest on top of a lossy network uh, and was essentially built with the idea of asynchronous communication and having to change that to uh, essentially make it better fit uh, your use case. And so there are challenges. This is not to say it's impossible. It's just there's more work for some pieces of that. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, you, you will see there is there is going to be a, a split. You know, it, it's similar. I, w- I would make the argument that I, I think Mike's prediction about NVMe over TCP uh, being the, the one that it that, you know, eventually gets um, footprint is likely to be true because, you know, I, I see it as the replacement for iSCSI, frankly, you know, um, when OK enough performance at an OK enough price is OK enough, you know, that's going to be. The scenario people use iSCSI, you know, as as a as a as a block storage uh, interface. I think that um, one of the first things that we've sort of seen is is that um, you know the folks that are paying the, the premium for NVMe performance have actually you know I, Mike has frequently used the you know you don't buy the Ferrari to drive it on a backcountry gravel road at 20 miles an hour right or 15 miles an hour. Um, you bought it to to perform, and so if you want to get the performance out of it, then the infrastructure for that performance matters. And so, you know, there's there's that set of set of customers, and that's that's very much where we where we play together with with NetApp on the on the FC side. Then there's the connectivity side, you know, broader broader you know connectivity where the performance is not the top criteria. Um, and in in that instance, I think that eventually NVMe over TCP will likely be the, the 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 winner in in that space right it, the rocky stuff yeah you know i i get it but um customers struggle with things that are udp only and that's i think one of the one of the critical things i've i've started actually describing to to people uh as nvme over udp as opposed to rocky just because i think they need to be clear that that all the mechanisms they expect from tcp are not in fact there right mm-hmm. You know, when you go to scale, that's that's it's a it's a, you know, there's no session windowing, there's no congestion windowing, there's no retry mechanism. You know, it's it's a it, you know as somebody who grew up at at a company that you may have once heard of in in your early uh, studies, Justin, uh, an outfit called Digital Equipment Corporation, back when Deck, Intel, and Xerox were you know writing the the first Ethernet specification. Um, you know, UDP has its use cases, but it's not the one you use, you know, most of the time in, 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 you know, enterprise data centers. TCP is, is, is very much more the thing for scale. I had a UDP joke, but, but you wouldn't get it. <laughs> Actually, you had a UDP joke, but you didn't care if I got it. That's the, that's, the, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's, I think the, 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 you know, one of the one of the things 
you know, you asked about RDMA, remote direct memory access earlier. And one of the things that that's um, interesting about that is that Fiber Channel has been doing zero copy for 15 plus years. So so longer than RDMA has been around. Um, and RDMA was was basically the, the ability of one machine to write to another machine's memory locations um, was was basically, you know, an effort really um, to to get away from the memory to memory copies that slow down a lot of uh, a lot of data movement. Um, you know, when you're when you're when you're working with with TCP as a network protocol. Um, so, you know, we've we've already got that we already write directly into the application space. Um, you know, that's 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 something that's been in place with with NVMe or sorry, with with um, Fiber Channel um, for, like I said, more than more than 15 years. So for NVMe, that works out very well, because, uh, again, you know, I, I don't know, Mike, that on your on your latest gear, or maybe Madhu knows that, but but you know, on the on 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 the actual NVMe devices, I think the current iteration is, you know, the the the, the high volume was the sub twenty microsecond, but are we we're at like sub ten microsecond latencies at a device level now? Um, Madhu, I think it, you actually have been uh, you've been looking at test data, uh, test performance data this week, and so I'll let you uh, take the first swing at that if you want. So, so my main uh, response times that I've seen was on the front end. So, from a from the from the back end, uh, the I think AJ is referring to the NVMe devices itself, right? AJ? Yes. Yeah, it's on the back on the back end, right? The the, 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 back, components, yeah. the components you guys are yeah. building into your systems. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the numbers with me right now. So, I, 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 so I would go on and say that in addition to UDP, and by the way, with regard to Justin's joke, it's not that he didn't send it, it's that he sent it, uh, AJ never got it, and neither of them knew that AJ never got it. AJ didn't know that it existed. That's how UDP works. The assumption is, is this is that you're going to get it or some other upper layer is going to notice and ask for a retransmission. Um, Nah. But uh, I mean, that's true. But uh, I mean, Rocky also needs a specialized hardware. That's well, well, so, the, that's, so that's what I was getting at. Is this is, is yeah. a, a huge barrier to entry for Rocky, and specifically as it relates to how hyperscalers are likely to be able to support it. Is this is if you think about how I am moving block data between my organization somewhere, and uh, you know one of the hyperscalers, I'm going to be going across cross public networks, are all of those public networks going to have RNICs and DCB switches and so on in place? Because that is specialized hardware that is required in order to support Rocky. That's why we expect TCP to win. Not because it is the better or prettier protocol, but because it is infinitely uh, portable in that I need a NIC and an ethernet switch. Don't really care which. Obviously, if I have a 100 meg switch and NIC, it's going to be very slow, but it would work. Correct. Absolutely right. Yeah. No, no DCB switches, no PFCs, no, I mean, pause frame controls. None mm -hmm. of that needs to be worried about for, for NVMe or TCP. So we think, uh, to your point, that it will be the ubiquitous uh, NVMe transport uh, um, in, the, in the future. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the interesting things that I've noticed in the NVMe over fabrics group is they've figured out at this point that that one of the challenges 
that has existed for years with iSCSI is there isn't a uniform, well-adopted ISNS implementation out there for auto discovery of controllers and, and so on. Um, and so they've got a two to three year software development cycle in plan that you can go read about, um, you know, where they functionally, they want to create the same name services or, or something similar to the name services we already have in fiber channel for the last, you know, 23, uh, 23, 24 years now. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's, there's a progression there, Justin, that's going to take, that's going to take time uh, for that. But, but again, you want to keep in mind that to, to Mike's point earlier, TCP, you know, Vince Cerf and Bob Kahn and their teams wrote that for DARPA, for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Administration in the Cold War, you know, for reliable delivery of data in an unreliable physical network, right, in a lossy physical network, as Mike said. And, and it does that. The data will get there. They never wrote TCP to provide reliable delivery of data in a time deterministic fashion. You can't say when it will finish getting there, right? Now, for some applications, that doesn't matter. Right. And, and, and nobody gets freaked out. Turns out for for some applications and for a lot of very storage dependent applications, you know, storage is a pretty time deterministic environment. You actually, you know, if, it, if it's transactional processing or analytics or so, you, you care that the data got there, you care that you get a response, you care about the timeliness of it, you care about the response times of it. Those are all things that, that you care about. That's where our solution set with with NetApp and uh, Plays, you know, lossless, low latency, deterministic delivery of high performance storage for critical applications. You know, it's a, it's a sweet spot for this solution set that we have together. And 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 finally, just to underline, if you have to do a retry, that is retransmit the data, that tends to have catastrophic effects on your your performance in terms of the latency and throughput that you're likely to achieve if you're doing that. It's not quite as bad as it is with voice where retransmitting uh, the middle section of a conversation is, it would be worse than just dropping it. Yeah, did, 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 Which is why it is that voice uses UDP. Did, 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 Mike, did Mike say, don't push the big red button or push the red button? <laughs> you know, which, 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 What's funny is like in the middle of that statement, his connection kind of dropped a little bit. So you could actually hear in real time an example of what he's talking about, where it's like all garbled and you're like, like what Mike? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, you have one of the things that's, that's, you know, really good about the, the, the way FC works, right. Is, is that it's a buffer to buffer credit mechanism. I don't send data to Madhu that I don't know in advance. Madhu has space to take. Right. And so, you know, why do I care? Why, what's the big deal about that? Well, what it means is, is the level of retransmit data in an environment is is minimal to none, right? I mean, that's the that's the goal. You want the first send to be the good send. And in fact, you know, back in the day, if you'll allow, we actually had two phrases. We had throughput and good put because you can actually get into retransmit storms where where you're throwing the retransmit data back in at line rate, and you can you can break. And, you know, the, the environment. And that's why, for example, congestion windowing in TCP immediately does a 50% drop. If it sees an issue, it cuts your throughput by 50% to make sure that, that you're not going to get into that, that, that same scenario. And so, you know, that's very functional, um, but it also has, you know, implications for performance. And so that's, so, we don't do that. 
<clears throat> AJ, that dovetails right into one of the things uh, we did together with, with Brocade uh, Broadcom, which was a credit recovery and buffer-to-buffer buffer credits. So in ONTAP 9.7, we, we did this where we actually ended up making the wire even more efficient uh, with buffer-to-buffer buffer credit recovery. Uh, to, to your point about making it, making sure that we can always get that data out there the very first time instead of trying to get some kind of retransmission done. Yeah, and and you know, it, you know, I'll ask you to, to just, you know, also maybe um, speak to speak to the idea of of you know some of the things we're doing around link integrity. Yeah, the fact, so there's a there's a new a new standard uh, edition, uh, Justin called Fabric Performance Impact Notification. Right, so for the first time, um, we're able to engage the entire ecosystem, both 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 the adapters, the you know the host bus adapters and the servers, and then the the array controllers, and tell people you know what's going on, but also ask them and, and get you know get input, you know, huh. as to what are the issues, right? Yes, yes, yes. So the, you're you're talking about F pin, right? AJ? I mean the yes. fabric performance, uh, yeah, indication, the notification, this entire framework that makes uh, the SAN, uh, you know, self heal uh, based on congestion at different points of the network, etc. And yeah, we we are working with Brocade in that area. We have a roadmap that that's kind of going through one by one on how we want to do this, right? I mean, so for example, the first thing we, we are planning to do in the S-PIN area is to be able to exchange the diagnostic capabilities and register for these diagnostic capabilities and log them so that so that it makes a storage administrator very easily, you know, they can find out that certain congestions have happened on which part of the SAN it has happened. And then we are going to use the link integrity that you were talking about, uh, you know, AJ. So if there's a link issue, et cetera, we would actually send what's called as notifications, SPIN LI, notifications out there that allows the host stacks to actually seamlessly reroute traffic. So one of the things, you know, that people, you know, need to understand whether it's in SAN or anywhere else, right? A degraded link is worse than a downed link <laughs> so so uh, I, and i think that's uh, that's an uh, interesting point there right i mean a degraded link means that the hosts or the servers actually do not know that that link is down so they continue to try to retransmit on that on that link what it does is it, it messes up uh, latency it messes up throughput and that's where for example in san we, are, we the the plan is to you know kind of tell the host tell the server you know what this link is not up to par. And the host MPIO, the multipathing stacks on the hosts can then say, oh, this link, although it's not down, it's it's not up to par, right? It's not, it's degraded and route traffic to a good, quote unquote, good link. So that's another thing, uh, AJ, in the FPIN area in terms of self-healing that, that's on the roadmap that we, we are going to bring in to an on-tap release uh, near you in the future. Uh, and then there is uh, there are other things in that area, in that uh, roadmap area, that there can be peer-to-peer notifications, right? Like the congestion notifications and the peer notifications that allow the targets and the hosts to pace, pace and match the traffic. So, so if if, uh, if there's resource contention on the tra- on the target, uh, you know, we could uh, send out uh, SPIN PNs to the host servers so that the servers can pace themselves. And similarly, the servers can send us something, and the targets can pace. You know, and again, that all goes back to the same thing: we do not want to do retransmissions. We yeah. do not want to have timeouts. 
we we don't want to you know get into that situation in the first place because that adds to performance and latency agreed and i think one of the one of the things that that uh, we, we we have a tendency to to refer to this as mean time to innocence um you know with with some of the customers because you know to to be honest and not just because i'm on a on an a netapp podcast all too frequently the first place the finger gets pointed is the storage and and all too frequently in point of fact that it's it's an issue with the initiator or, or with the or with the server um but you know the the first place that that may become visible um is the is the storage and so the ability to say you know this is this this port is congested or this is a bully flow right and to 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 Madhu's point right you know one of the challenges you get into is you know how do you figure out the bully and the victim and how do you pace the bully so that so that you know he still gets decent performance right but he's not being a problem child to all of the other applications that are sitting next to him right you know that that's a that's a significant challenge and that's something we can do that that other protocols are going to really struggle with because because identifying even just identifying the congestion endpoints is tough right well you know one of the things that we do in our in our partnership we're actually as the as the switch we're actually looking at the buffer cut return so when i send data to madu as soon as madu has handled that data he returns the buffer credit to me that's how i know he has space to to take the next bit right um or the next frame and and so what we're doing in the switch is is we're actually looking at the latency i'm i'm actually measuring how fast madu is returning buffer credits to me and we're measuring that hundreds of thousands of times a second on every port in the fabric Okay, well those are boring measurements, Justin. Nobody nobody wants to actually see the measurement data until there's an issue. And then the very first thing you want to know is, okay, who's my problem child? Where's the where's the slow return? Where's the one that's congested? Where's the stalled server? Right? Where's the where's the Oracle DBA that did a weird join and is asking for more data than than his uh, platform can consume and so now he's creating a a, a bottleneck in my in, in my fabric, right? We we've got the measurement data. We can immediately identify where those are, right? And now with the F pin notifications, we can we can say we can tell the host, you know, to, to to Madhu's point, hey, there's a link integrity issue on this link, right? And it can pop the MPIO stack at the at the OS level and say, hey, this link is is has has an integrity issue. You know, stop load balancing to this link until you're notified otherwise, right? Because you know you may you may be thinking, well, you know, it's just a few tens of frames, AJ. You know, what are you freaking out about? Well, okay, but what if that's a sequential read or a sequential write to to the application? Now the application is 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 basically on hold, waiting for the recovery. That's not a scenario you actually want, right? So there's a there's there's just a huge level of of development underneath, uh, Justin. That that I would argue, customers don't want to know about necessarily, right? Un, until there's an issue. But it's it's what makes this environment work as cleanly as it does, to the to the point that customers sometimes, sadly, treat the SAN as 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 fire and forget. Right? You know, they set it up and it just sits there ticking over, and they they don't think about it because it just works. And AJ, I would argue that that's how it should be. Right? I mean, we want <laughs> the SAN to be a fire and forget. We want it to be self learning and yep. self healing. And for healing, yep. for example. to this point about the link integrity we we actually i mean you know netapp uh, implemented uh, forward error, error correction even yeah. at 16 gig right i mean fc and that's to 
you know, find this out. So we did buffer to buffer credit recovery, which dovetails into again what you are talking about the credits, right? So there could be a chance that there was a there was a lost credit, and we 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 do this credit recovery with you so that you know we regain all of that, and that went in. I think I pointed that out, right? That that that's already in there. That went into nine in on tap nine point seven. But we do want the customers to be able to fire and forget, right? I mean, set it up, let it heal, let it manage, let it reroute as needed, uh, and then notify, right? Isolate the fault domain, point the fault domain out so that a storage admin can immediately go in fix that fault domain. Yeah, one of the things that that um, that we've done with with the Gen Seven platforms, um, you know, one of the one of the challenges that customers have is they have they have, you know, basically a mix of servers. I mean, Mike Mike and I have been on customer calls with with customers that have some very old versions of operating systems running critical applications to them, but you know, like operating systems that that are more than ten to fifteen years old um, out there in this in this mix. So, but even if it's not that old, right? You've got multiple generations of servers in the environment and so on, right? And the intermix of those platforms, right? If, if you've got some four gig platforms and some eight gig platforms and 16 gig platforms and 32 gig platforms is one of the most frequent causes that mismatch, you know, people who drive like, like I do, you know, the grandfather in the family car and, and, you know, that's, that's, I'm not breaking any laws. Right. But, but if it's a single lane highway in our direction, you're not necessarily thrilled to be behind me. Um, and so, with the virtual channels on our on our platforms, we're able to actually separate into performance groups, 16 gig and under, 32 gig, 64 gig, um, and moving forward in the in the future, we're going to um, be isolating um, NVMe traffic from SCSI traffic, so that so that you can have you'll have you know basically think about it as a multi lane highway, Justin. You'll have lanes that are dedicated to to not just to to 32 gig, but to 32 gig NVMe or to 64 gig um, and NVMe, right? And that's going to, you know, make for the self-optimizing piece that Madhu was was talking about, right? We we're going to get rid of a whole bunch of the interactions between devices um, that that cause some of these performance mismatch issues um, that that you see, and it's going to make it run cleaner. Yeah, essentially, that that eighteen-year-old kid with his brand new Porsche is going to be able to get around uh, me and AJ, who are driving along. Uh, <laughs> and our, uh, we really don't sell station wagons anymore, but if <laughs> I probably have one. <laughs> that that's QoS, right? I mean, it's quality. I mean, that's. I mean, in a sense, it's actually we are talking about QoS, right? I mean, that's what well, we want. So here. We want thing. some some guys to be able to move faster. Things like VMID help us there, correct? I mean, it, it helps us classify traffic to allow some guys to move ahead versus others or fabric priority. Yeah, so so the VMID piece is actually something that NetApp um, is the is the, the currently the only array um, and the and the first array out there that 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 supports this. And so one of the challenges there, you know, take that granularity a little further, you know, you could have anywhere from you know a couple of virtual machines on a platform but the more common thing is is 24 48 or more virtual machines um, sitting on a sitting on a single platform and you know I, I, have, I have a great deal of respect for grade school teachers it's like the teacher walking into the classroom and and there's a, a you know 20 some odd kids in a mad riot and you're trying to figure out who hit who first um, and so that virtualization piece has been difficult. Um, honestly, Justin, because 
the 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 hosts right for for that um, for that environment the ESX image um, has has always handled the I/O and so we could see the I/O to the data store but we didn't know which virtual machine was doing what so you know how do you find the bully and how do you find the victim and so now what we've got is a mechanism where um, and this is supported by the way. Um, from an ESX standpoint, uh, ESX first implemented this in 5.5. Um, so, and we're now on 7, uh, uh, vSphere 7 update 2. Um, so, you know, pretty long range that, 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 that it's, it's been out there. But, but basically, uh, to be able to allow us to tag on a frame-by-frame basis, you know, a unique virtual machine ID, right, um, where we can look and we can see who's, which, which virtual machine you know what, or what the performance of a specific virtual machine is, is is doing, and and as I say, NetApp is the first the first company to to have this support in their array. And and Mado, you got to refresh my 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 brain on which version of ONTAP that was. Was it nine eight nine nine eight nine eight? Yes. It was nine eight. So so it, it my write up that that the way I explained it is this is that typically you're going to have a data store that is backed by say a fiber channel one. Uh, so I can tell IO to that data store. I can tell that it is that data store. What I can't tell without VMID is is which VM that is using that data store is triggering that IO with VMID because you are uh, individually tagging each uh, frame with the VMID of the VM that is actually responsible for that IO. Instead of having granularity to the data store level, I've got it down to the VM, which means that I can now actually watch traffic from that VM, every single IO from that VM across the fabric and back again. That gives me the option of potentially doing QoS in order to stop it from either bullying or being bullied by uh, other uh, VMs that are using the same data store, or alternatively, I can use that in order to troubleshoot uh, uh, a problem that I'm seeing with VMware or a or a specific VM. I'm able to uh, very much more quickly isolate the specific VM that I'm interested in based on the I/O that I'm having some sort of an issue with. And in, in my head, and this is just this is just me talking, Justin. So, so don't, don't put any don't put any weight behind this. But in my head, I look at this and think, you know, at some point, you know, our 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 friends in in ONTAP may start using this mechanism as a methodology to look at at load balancing, you know, or maybe even making recommendations um, to the to the platform in terms of, hey, you know what, um, here's a really high performer for you. Perhaps this one would be a good VM to migrate to a data store on an NVMe namespace ID, as opposed to leaving it, you know, on the SCSI LUN with the other 24 uh, virtual machines that it's currently, you know, causing a problem for, right? So, you know, if one of one of the things over the years that I've, that I've learned from customers is a, is a set of rules for IT. Um, and rule four says, if you can't measure, you can't manage. If you can't measure, you're functionally driving with a blindfold on. You don't know whether to speed up, slow down, turn right, turn left. But if you can see, if you can see the flows, which is what NetApp is allowing with with the VMID support, if you can see the flows, now you can be intelligent about what you place where, right? That's really cool. Now, again, you know, software takes time, right? But but that's really cool. Uh, yeah, that actually sounds like a, a, a potential capability that we would have in perhaps uh, uh, AIQ so that when we receive your auto supports, we'd be able to look at that data and then potentially make proactive recommendations uh, based on that sort of information. Because I 
have more granular information, I can build uh, products or, or features that take advantage of that additional information to enhance the user experience. That essentially is IT in a nutshell. That And that is, it is very much an iterative process and sometimes it is painfully slow, but ultimately that is how progress occurs. As far as automation goes, I mean, do we have some other things that help us make this whole process easier? Yeah. So basically um, on our platforms, you know, one of the, one of the other funny things that happens over time, and, and I'm pretty sure both Madhu and 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 Mike have, have lived through this and probably yourself as well, Justin, is, you know, every time a new management interface gets brought into something, you know, the the, the teams that support it on platforms are, are a little on edge. And the reason they're a little on edge is because, you know, management interfaces tend not to go away very easily because there's going to be somebody somewhere who's using it. And so from our standpoint, you know, we've, we've got, you know, SNMP interfaces, we've got CLI interfaces, but the push that we see is, is restful API, right. And, and uh, an awful lot. And, and, you know, we do, so, so we're, we've been implementing restful APIs to our, to our switches uh, with the intent that, that people can script Against the the switch interfaces um, to to get the um, you know the level of automation that they that they want. We tend to do our examples in Python, and we actually have uh, something called PyFOS, which which is, is sort of like pre-configured wrappers, Python Python wrappers for uh, uh, for our interfaces. Uh, but customers customers that are comfortable and familiar with Python. Um, or other scripting languages, and we don't restrict what scripting languages you use or, or what orchestration tools you use. Ansible tends to be where we put uh, a lot of our, you know, if you go look at the Brocade GitHub uh, site, you know, we, we've got a lot of, of, of scripts and, and examples up there um, that show people how to do playbooks in Ansible. Um, and I think, you know, Mike mentioned earlier um, on, um, when we were talking, you know, this concept that you can do Ansible playbooks that, that talk to both the, the NetApp um, array, as well as the, the Brocade Sand Fabric, right? And, and that level of automation is, is, is there. And, and we, you know, we're using uh, Kafka streams out to SandNav. Uh, SandNav Management Portal is the management tool that, that NetApp um, takes from, from Brocade for the, for the Sand Fabric. And, you know, one of the reasons why we're, we're moving more and more into this automation um, is, is because, there's a limited number of resources available to, to the IT staff, right? But the response times, so the, the, the performance, the complexity and, and response time demand on applications just continues to go insane. I, I have never, ever seen any single increase in, in technology where within some period of time, the application people didn't figure out how to consume all the performance that the infrastructure team exposes every single time, right? And so when you look at that, uh, without automation, how are the IT staff not already behind? You know, if we're if we're not putting this data out right, if we're not allowing uh, playbooks to to do the configuration through through Ansible or you know um, you know I don't have and have the same OpenStack or whatever whatever you know um, or or the VMware orchestration tools right, whatever you want to use, that's fine. Um, and the RESTful APIs allow you to do. Anything to the to the switch that a that a normal SAN administrator um, would 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 want to do, right? And and you know I think that's that's a pretty good integration between us our, ourselves and NetApp for for those orchestration platforms. 
So where does something like sand nav fit in? So sand nav is, is the, think of it first as the, as the collector, you know, I, I mentioned, I mentioned that we're using Kafka, right? So, so one of the things that's true in the, in the gen seven infrastructure that NetApp is shipping today um, is that we are auto learning flows. What's that mean? Well, basically um, when you take hosts and connect them to a gen seven uh, switch that, you know, a, a brocade gen seven switch from NetApp and, and the NetApp arrays um, what happens there is that when you, when you turn that on, we're immediately learning flows and on a, on a gen seven director, we're going to learn in the current software up to 20,000 initiator target LUN or initiator target namespace ID flows per platform per director. Okay. Now that number is going to go up, you know, think more than double. Uh, in the in the next in the next software release, right? Just to give you a direction for where it's going, I'm not going to talk explicit numbers until QA is happy, right? But but you know, think about that, right? We're automatically going to be looking at initiator target LUN flows, right? And providing that data, right? Now that level of measurements, you know, along with the latency measurements we were talking about before, Justin, you know, I could I we could literally drown your customers in metadata about their data, and that's not useful. There's no way that's useful. And they don't want to see all those measurements until there's an issue. And then the very first thing they want to do is figure out, one, whether or not they're innocent, right? That's that mean time to innocence conversation for the NetApp array, right? And two, if there's an issue, to mitigate it as rapidly as possible, right? To, to, to stop that problem before the application notices preferably, right? Or, or as quickly as you can. And so... You know, if the if the first time that a storage administrator or an IT administrator is is going to begin looking for data about a problem is after the application owner has already yelled, how are you not already behind? How are you not already guilty? Right? You know, because that that's going to be that that's going to be the verdict. Oh, the storage caused another issue, right? And then you know later on you figure out it wasn't the storage, right? But the the retraction gets buried in the obituary columns for those of you that remember what newspapers look like, you know, I'm, I'm like page 32. Um, so the, the sand nav management portal is the collector for that data. And then it represents that those health characteristics. So, you know, we, we, there's, there's the, the you know, the, the health donuts, if you will, at the top, right. And it, so it's fabric switches, hosts and storage. And, and as you, as you look at those, you know, we can, we can highlight where there are, where there are issues. We can show you where your top congested ports or your top used ports are. We can show you where things like slow drain device quarantine. So if we see an oversubscribed server and we can tell that because we can see, you know, we can see pending IO on the port. So, you know, when I talk about flow learning, um, we can tell you things like the, the, um, exchange completion time latency. So we can tell you, we can tell you how rapidly you got a response to the, the query to your Oracle database. Um, we can, we can tell you what the throughput is. We can tell you the pending IO on that port, right? So we can see when a port's congested and we can notify to that. We can highlight that in, in monitoring alerts, policy suites in SandNav and immediately pop that, right? And those alerts can be, can be picked up, right? And to, to Mike's point through your, um, uh, through your platform, do the do the the in in auto support do the call home feature right and potentially identify to the um, 
you know, to the to the admin before they even know there's a problem um, that that something is there. And so that's that's what's there. And and investigation mode lets you go into, you know, a, a five second granularity on on that on that environment. So you know, click down, drill down in, um, you know, and and see. Okay, here's the port that this was reported on. In context topology view, right? That, that's a think of it like Google Maps, right? You open Google Maps, you see everything, right? But here's the server where the application that's being complained about is on. So you say to yourself, okay, show me a topology view for this server. And what you're going to get, instead of getting the whole sand, is you get just here's the server. Here's the infrastructure that the flows talking to this server or generated by this server are crossing, and here's the targets it's talking to. That's an in-context topology view. And you can drill down and you can say, hey, show me what's going on. Show me the history so I can see you know, when the, when the first punch got thrown right, and see what's going on. So that's what SAN, where SANNAV Management Portal uh, fits in for the, for the, for the SAN fabric. right? And that, that data that we're collecting um, that data can can be saved out and and used in used in other tools, right? There's northbound Kafka streams off of uh, off of SANNAV management portal that people can subscribe to and, and take that data and put it into Splunk or some other tool that they that they that they want to use to do their analytics if they choose. Basically, SANNAV is giving you, you know, think of SANNAV as being the X-ray, CAT scan, and MRI that your doctor could use if you said, "I feel a pain in my belly." And they don't want to actually perform surgery to cut you open and see if there's anything inside there to look at. You could just do an x-ray to find that out. That's what SAMNAP is going to do for you. I, I want to add a couple of things. It's really cool, right? I mean, this explanation of SAMNAP, what it does. Uh, and I think there's a few things happening in the ecosystem that's going to help. Uh, and uh, AJ, you, you probably... And I think Brocade's driving a lot of that, which is the fabric device management interface, the FDMI. And we are working closely with you all on, on that. Uh, we have things like, uh, you know, registering enclosure names, um, registering node identification data, like, you know, the RNID, RNID, et cetera, which probably will feed into something like this tool that, you know, you, you talked about zeroing in. So when you have a large span, how do you zero in on the on your on your problem? And I think this FDMI that lets you have uh, unique user friendly names, if if I can say that, or you know, even at an enclosure level, at a at a card level, at a port level, I think that that's going to feed into your your this tool of yours that that that's going to help storage admins get quickly to where the problem is. Yeah, if, if I'm presented with a problem, the faster that I can define what the actual fault domain is, in other words, what stuff do I not have to worry about, uh, the more quickly I'm able to do that, the more quickly I'm able to actually solve the problem. When I worked in support, most of the time when I was looking at a SAN problem, the first place I would look would be the switch, you know, one of the fiber channel switches. The reason is, 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 is if I can figure out what side of the switch that problem is on, I can literally get rid of half of my fault domain where I no longer have to be worried about that. I can set that to the side and focus on the part where I see the problem actually happening. That's what SANNAP is doing. It's, 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 it is uh, basically turbocharging your ability or speeding your ability to isolate down to what is the actual fault domain? What do I need to focus Correct. on? What does not yeah. matter? Yeah. Correct. And, and I'm saying that there's a few things in the ecosystem that's going to help even more. You know, Mike, like mm -hmm. the FDMI, 
um, you know, the R&D, this entire framework that's being developed is going to even help further to zero in on that in a, in a more user-friendly, friendly way. And I think, I think you're right, Madhu. And I think, you know, one it, it sounds, it sounds simple, right? And I think, you know, Justin, I just want to take a moment to explain that what Madhu is describing, right, is to, def- to, to allow us to define from a topology standpoint, from a, from a fabric standpoint, you know, what points in the network are part of the same enclosure, right? How do we see? And so, you know, when you're, when you're trying to figure out, you know, and you've got, you know, multiple HBAs or, or, you know, if it's on the Ethernet side, you've got multiple NICs or multiple Ethernet ports in it, in, in the same server, right? How do you know which addresses belong to which, right? How do you know, how do I know which fiber channel uh, port addresses are part of the same NetApp enclosure, right? And so that, so that we know, right, who the entities are that are, that are, that are engaged here, right? And we can, and we can look and we can see, you know, what's, what's going, what's going on with that. And, and that level of definition becomes really, really useful when you're trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's going on in the environment and, and how to mitigate whatever the, whatever the problems are. And that's an advantage we have in, in, in fiber channel. FDMI is fabric device management interface. And, and it's a standard that allows us to query uh, in band over fiber channel to, to, to talk to devices um, in that, in that environment. Right. And, and basically pull data from, um, from them. And so we know, you know, what it, what a device is. There's a, it's one of the interesting things about fiber channel in general, there's a level of knowledge about what's connected that I think is pretty unique among other, um, among the protocols um, in use in storage, right? So that, that's an advantage to us. It is these sorts of things that don't end up on a sales glossy uh, that show up as this is why you should pick NetApp, this is why you should pick Brocade, et cetera. It is, you know, it, little details that you absolutely could not care less about, probably don't know about until you need them, at which point there being there is a lifesaver. It is yeah. that. And, and it goes all the way down that. to the physical layer, Mike. It goes all the way down to the physical layer. Oh, absolutely. Like, things like link, link cable beaconing, LCB. I mean, that's on our roadmap, for example, to work with, right? LCB lets you actually beacon LEDs on both sides. You have D-Port or ClearLink, which which gives uh, you know re- data at an SFP level, and that can be collected by your tools in the, in the middle, right? That tells you what thresholds are, what optical levels are. Sure. Uh, to, to your point, right? I mean, it goes down to the physical wire. But but what I was saying is is that these are largely unsung heroes because when when I write the document talking about what's new in SAN in ONTAP, uh, you know, fifteen point one. And I'm not going to be writing about those sorts of features. That's something that you're going to find in the documentation because you happen to need it at a specific time. It's not a top-level feature that you would write about as something that you would put as a bullet point in why I'm competing and why you should consider me instead of somebody else the way that fabric pools would be. So it, it, it is that is all the value add that is, you know, it, it's sort of, Think of it as the part of the iceberg that is under the water that you are damn glad that it is there when you need it. On the ClearLink side of side of things or Dport side of things, and one of the reasons why I think that that the fact that NetApp is is you know moving in this direction is is uh, is critical is optical infrastructure. You know when you when you when you look at the speeds that things are moving to, Justin, right? And so so not just in fiber channel, but in but in Ethernet as well. There comes a time at which you're going to see more and more optical infrastructure. Right. That's it's it's physics. It's a it's a fact of life. Right. You know, there's 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 limits to how how 
you know, how much you, you can, you can, you can push without optical networking. Well, one of the advantages that, that this gives us is to know that the optical infrastructure is fit for purpose before you start running production on it. And so, you know, to, to that basically, you know, you run this generally when you're setting up the, the, the environment, as you deploy new platforms, you, you would run this and it lets us test the optical infrastructure to the NetApp array. It allows us to test the optical infrastructure to the, the, the server, to the initiator in the, in the server, right? And, and we can tell you the, the latency on the link. We can tell you the, the, the packet loss on the link. We can tell you the DB signal loss on the, on the, on the link, right? You know, and, and, you know, the advantage to that is that a quick, quick example of it. Um, we had a customer in healthcare that, you know, hired somebody to come in and do a 3000 port fabric for them. Right. And, and they passed the acceptance tests. And when they ran the, the D port on it, what they discovered was that almost 15% of the ports were marginal, but they passed. Right. So then if they passed, right. Why, why, why is AJ getting freaked out about it? Well, okay. Tell me what happens six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road as optics age. Tell me what happens when one of your colleagues walks down the aisle just and he brushes the cabling and he takes the radius bend from, from a correct uh, radius bend to an acute radius bend and marginal just became intermittent because nothing is going to make you crazier than an intermittent problem, right? And so knowing that the infrastructure is fit for purpose before you start running production is really, really cool because once you're running production, remind me a good time to do diagnostics, right? It's just, it's, just, it's not there, right? And so I, these, these are the kinds of things to Mike's point and Madhu's point that, that you know, they, they're not the big, the big, you know, Broadway lights, notification stuff that people think about or hear about, or, oh my God, this is so cool. This is the, the nuts and bolts blocking and tackling stuff that actually makes all this really work. All right. Sounds like we got a lot to think about with SAN and automation, as well as some of the new things that are coming out for NVMe or Fiber Channel and, and possibly even over TCP, you know, in the future. So, um, Mike, where would I want to, if I wanted to find more information, where could I go to do that? Uh, well, the, the first place would be your uh, either NetApp or partner uh, account team uh, would be the first place to talk about any of these things. Obviously, you can also go to www.netapp.com or www.brocade.com uh, for specifics if you're looking for a specific piece of technology. But, but I'd say the account team would be the first place because they can get you in touch with uh, either the resources that you're looking for or introduce you to someone who can give you more information you know, basically follow up on that. All right. And Mike, if we wanted to contact you again, how would we do that? Uh, my Twitter handle is NTAP uh, FLI guy, or you can reach me at mpeppers at netapp.com. And AJ? And I would be aj.casamento at broadcom.com. And last but not least, Madhu? Uh, uh, mpi at netapp.com. All right. Thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about what's new in the automation piece of SAN. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Mike Peppers, Madhu Pai, and AJ Casamento for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah.
Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh yeah.